Let us pray. Holy God, tell us your story of who we are until it transforms us. Amen. When I was in elementary school, I vividly remember a guest speaker giving a presentation at one of our school-wide assemblies. I don't remember the whole presentation. That would be weird. I don't even remember the point of why she was there, necessarily. What I remember is that she told us a story. In the beginning, long, long ago, the sky was very close to the earth. People did not have to sow crops and harvest them. They did not have to prepare soup and cook rice. Children did not have to carry water from the stream or gather sticks for the fire. And anyone who was hungry just reached up and took a piece of the sky and ate it. It was delicious, too. It tasted like any meal you could ever want, like a hearty stew, like roasted corn, like ripe pineapple. There was very little work to do then, so people spent their time weaving beautiful cloth, carving intricate statues, retelling tales of adventure, and celebrating grand festivals. Those who worked in the royal palace had the job of preparing the sky food for festivals, cutting and shaping each piece for the celebrations. The problem was people took more sky than they needed. They took and they took from the sky, and when they couldn't consume it all, they threw it away on the trash heap. Pieces of the sky were piling up in the garbage. So the sky thundered loud and warned the king, who warned every person in the village, stop taking more than you need of me. You are wasting my gifts. So everyone listened to the sky for a while. But then after one big festival, a woman and a man in the village returned home after dark and took another big piece of sky, even though they were already very full from the party. When they couldn't finish it, they woke their children to eat it, but they were already full. They asked the neighbors to eat it and the neighbors' neighbors, and no one could eat it. So the woman and the man buried it on the bottom of the garbage pile behind their house. The sky noticed. It roared and thundered and said, You have taken too much again. You have not treated me with respect. Now I will move farther away, and you will have to plow the land and gather the crops and cook the food. Perhaps through your own labor you will learn not to waste the gifts of nature. The next morning as the sun rose, everyone looked for the sky, but they had to look up, for there it was, distant and blue, and far, far out of reach. You know, the story comes from Nigeria, and it is believed to be at least 500 years old. The presenter had called it a folk tale or possibly a myth. I can't really remember. I held on to it because it was powerful to me. It conveyed so much about the world outside myself and even about myself in such a unique way from such a specific perspective. It was a way of understanding the world and how it came to be the way it is. I'm glad I held on to that elementary school moment because when we began to read Genesis and seminary together, some of us had the benefit of knowing this way of storytelling and some of us did not. Those who did not really struggled over the specifics, over the plausibility, over the science that did or did not back up the plot line. Where was Eden anyway? Some of those rivers mentioned in there exist now, but some of them don't. Could we really all have descended from just two humans? And so on. 
Not that those details aren't important, but the story of God's creation of the heavens and the earth, of plants and trees and animals and oceans, is painted in broad strokes in our scriptural telling. It's told in a way not to highlight geographical and physical realities, as much as to give insight. Insight into the character of God, into the character of people, and into why the world is the way it is. It doesn't answer all the questions, just as that old Nigerian tale does not. In fact, our Genesis story often brings up more questions than it answers. How about it? It doesn't resolve every problem and explain away everything in the world, but what it does convey in a revelation, we call it in the church, is something about who we are and who God is. That's always a good place to start with who we are and who God is, especially in Lent. This Lent, we're taking up the theme of re-Lent. We picked that name because it has at least two meanings. Uh, Re-Lent, like giving up the ways of sin that draw us from God and from caring for God's creation. And re-Lent, like reuse Lent, bring it back, dust it off the shelf, recycle some of its helpful practices and disciplines. We say in the church that one of those practices is self-examination, looking honestly at who we are and what have we been up to, and then asking, is that what we should be up to? We started this already on Ash Wednesday, taking a look at who we are and specifically where we come from, dust, dirt, ashes. And who we come from, God, the dust keeper, and the earth maker. Today, we're about to learn more about who we are and about who God is. We're brought a few verses ahead of Wednesday to the Garden of Eden in our first reading, to the clouds bending so low you can eat them easily kind of moment. The first humans are there charged by God to till the garden and keep it. Significantly, the words in the Hebrew here mean serve and guard it. As a guardian of someone else's property in biblical law would have been expected to exercise vigilance in doing so to the point that they would be personally liable for losses that occurred through negligence. The humans here are tasked with guarding creation with what God has called good by enjoying it and just not ruining it. It sounds like an easy job, as easy as reaching up and eating the sky. But all good things come to an end, perhaps, whether you're an ancient Israelite or a Nigerian storyteller. Both stories give a warning. Stop taking too much sky or else. Enjoy the Garden of Eden. Isn't it great? Oh, but that one tree, that's not for you. The warnings don't stick. The people in both cases are negligent. They are personally responsible for loss. Too much sky lost in the first story. Fruit from a tree consumed in hours. And there is another loss, the most significant one, the loss of trust. The tragedy of a broken relationship, which in our story is spelled out in more detail so as to include every conceivable relationship in all of creation. Every relationship has been disrupted by the choices these first people make among the humans themselves, between them and the animals, them and the ground, between the humans and God, and even within their very selves This is the story we tell about the beginning of shame. Not one thing is left undisturbed by their selfish actions. What does that say about us and about God, about the way the world is? Considering our Lenten theme, I noticed this time as I heard the story how interconnected 
everything is in all of creation, how intricately woven together everything was before they ate from the tree because of how deeply affected everything was afterward. I noticed how that connectedness was part of the original design, and it still is. It has not changed according to the way our story goes. Everything we do has an effect on everything else in all creation. It even has an effect on God. I like to think we remembered that truth as the first people of the world for a while. I like to think we grieved over the fact that we could no longer have full conversations with animals. Hey, the woman had one with a snake here and it didn't seem out of place, did it? I'd like to know what my cat is thinking. I like to think we grieved the fact that the ground was now uncooperative and that we remembered fondly when those rivers ran clear. But somewhere along the way, after one too many celebrations, perhaps, we forgot how much God loves creation and how much we are part and parcel of it. We forgot that even in the beginning, God set limits on our role here. And that turned out to be of life or death importance. God set limits from the beginning, not wild dominion, as we have imagined that English translation in our minds. We have heard that word dominion in terms of our role in creation and thought that meant subduing and ruling over the earth like a harsh master, fulfilling our personal whims and desires, taking what we want when we want it. You know where we got that idea from, don't you? Ourselves. Remember now, that is not the picture of God in this story. That is the picture of us here. God is portrayed as nurturing, caregiving, involved, God sews little tiny human clothes for them when they are ashamed of themselves. Almighty God, little clothes. I mean, picture that. So from now on, you get that in your mind when you think of the word dominion, and then you will get it. When we are given the word dominion, we are charged with relating to the earth as God relates to every living thing. Somewhere along the way, though, we forgot God's way of dominion and the limits we were given and the interconnectedness of every living thing on, under heaven. Somewhere along the way, we stopped being able to see the sky anymore, sitting under a cloud of smog instead. We fish in waters filled with heavy metals and mercury. We decimate forests and burn fossil fuels night and day just to feed our energy-intensive lifestyles. We fill up oceans with our own garbage because we have greedily taken so much of the sky, as it were, that we cannot really use it all or eat it all, so it ends up in the trash heap. And what's worse is that somewhere along the way, we thought we could cover all that up with a fig leaf and hide away the extensive repercussions from God and all creation. You know, the Midrash on this text says that God showed the first man and the first woman around the garden and said, Look at my works. See how beautiful they are. How excellent. For your sake, I created them all. See to it that you do not spoil or destroy my world. For if you do, there will be no one else to repair it. Up till now are two stories from Nigeria and Israel. They have a lot in common. But how they end is where they part ways. The sky up and leaves and refuses to be connected with the people who took so much from its bounty. I mean, when you hear that Nigerian tale, do you really blame the sky for leaving, for moving out of reach, for cutting all ties? And yet in our narrative, God does not. God decides to stay connected with the people who stole from God's sacred tree and then tried to cover it up and hide. 
blaming each other as if God didn't know what happened in God's own garden. God decides to stay in relationship with them and by extension us. Even though we have used and abused the garden we were charged with tending, with serving, with looking out for, with guarding, as a key responsibility for why we are here in the first place. It's an ending unlike any folktale. The beautifully disturbing truth about our stories of faith, my friends, is that God makes the same choice again and again, not once, not twice, but innumerable times. And even when we break the very heart of God, Christ Jesus, God transforms that tree on which hung death into the very tree of life itself. So we could eat of its fruit and live the fruit that is set out at this communion table so we could find rest in the shade of its branches and healing of our fractured relationships in its leaves so we could find renewal in the waters of the river that runs beside that tree the waters of our baptism so that through all these signs we could see just who god is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and just who we are, broken and easily misguided, and yet loved and cherished by the one who fashioned and made us. Hearing this truth through our faith story, perhaps we will be moved to recommit ourselves to caring for God's good creation just as God cares for us, to reclaim those connections that we deeply share with every living thing, to reform our way of life and bring it back into balance with all the earth. Hopefully this truth will move us, as we say now, to relent this Lent in all kinds of ways. But chiefly, my friends, may it move us to reclaim this story and tell it loud until the whole world relents with us. Amen. Amen.